0: Hello and welcome to The Price of Football The show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game I'm Kevin Day and he is Liverpool University's cheeriest elf, Kieran Maguire Uh, Kieran, I hope that "hello" didn't sound too loud there And that Guy remembered to put the music in at the start of the pod this week He has one job, Kieran, one job
1: He has another job, which is counting his money.
0: He has two jobs, Kieran, and of course the money counting (laughs) obviously took preference over the putting music on. Now, Kieran, you remember last week we told a brilliant story about these Sunderland fans who set up a a soup kitchen to help feed people in the area who are struggling to feed themselves at this difficult time. Um, And as we approach the season of goodwill, Kieran, my favourite time of year... Uh, we thought it was a good idea to name and praise all the many other clubs whose fans are going the extra mile to help their communities at this difficult time for many. So step forward, Walsall fans, Wickham fans, AFC Wimbledon fans and Millwall fans all doing brilliant things this Christmas for their community and we'll name plenty more as we head for 2021. No offence, 2020, but we can't wait. Um... We put a little tweet out asking for clubs or asking for fans to tell us what their clubs are doing. As we suspected, Kieran, we were flooded with responses. So we're going to read more out on every pub that we do before Christmas. And of course, once again, to start on a positive note, we weren't at all surprised that so many fans were doing so many things for their people in their community.
1: No, and I think this is this reflects the fact that as fans we, we do see our football club as sort of a, as a central beacon of the town or city um and and we come together at a time when there's an awful lot of people living pretty grim lives with not a lot to look forward to so to all those fans for the clubs we've named and to all the others we will name in due course, yeah. uh, keep up the great work.
0: Yeah, and these are all fans doing things over and above what the clubs are already doing. So this is, I can't stress enough that this is fans we're talking about here. Now, Kieran, before we get on to some, uh, surprisingly, I, I almost use the word smorgasbord of questions, Kieran, because they they cover a range of, including one Proper accounting question that I nearly had to phone you up to make sure I was writing it down right. (laughs) We have a couple of news stories. Um, uh, The first one is a a biggie. The EFL was named its new chief executive.
1: Yes. So uh, the EFL are taking on Trevor Birch. Uh, Trevor is a former footballer, which is a positive. He he then then became a chartered accountant with Ernst & Young. So so he's a 62-year-old chartered accountant um he's <laughs> down with the kids eh <laughs> yes uh, and he was recruited by Rick Perry a 65 year old chartered accountant also formerly of Ernst and Young um uh-huh. so um yeah so, so he has been involved in the football industry uh, he's been uh, chief executive of Leeds uh, he was at Chelsea for a year he was at Everton for 6 weeks before he resigned he was at Derby he was Sheffield United he then Dipped his toe into the world of administration. Uh, he was the administrator for Portsmouth. He sold hearts to uh, to, to their supporters groups. Um, he then went back to being a, a chair or chief executive again at Portsmouth. And, and his last couple of jobs, he, he was at Swansea, and we're going to come back to Swansea a little bit later. Yeah. He, he lasted he, he lasted just over a year there. Then he went to uh, Spurs, and he picked up sort of a, a director of football operations role he started that on the 1st of September 2020 and now within three months he's now left to join the EFL so he he certainly gets around a bit Um, and this is all on the back of the previous chief executive Dave Baldwin who Dave resigned after four months in the job saying it was a different environment Mm. inside the EFL to the one he remembers that's not that's not fulsome praise and then uh yesterday, uh Matt Hughes in the mail, uh he he started to he, he put up a story uh, about the recruitment process. And we've spoken before about the recruitment process for Greg Clark's replacement. Absolutely. Um and uh according to Matt Hughes, there's been no transparent recruitment process. no tra- you know, we, we've we got a 62-year-old accountant, and this was managed solely by Rick Parry. Right. So it wasn't wasn't a committee that uh it, nobody else involved. Uh no no independent directors, uh managed solely by Rick Parry, so so that's where we are. So you know, they're both former of accountants at Ernst and Young. They're both in their sixties. Um you know, if if I was uh, aspirational, you know, you know if, if we're trying to get more diversity in the game, things of that nature, well, uh, uh doesn't look like the EFL's the best place to go. Uh,
0: and no disrespect to chartered accountants, of course, Kieran, you know full well my my esteemed opinion of that profession and all those who take part in it. But as you say, it's, it's, it's slightly dispiriting because it's a little like it's the football manager's merry-go-round. Basically you're, you're not out of a job for long, are you? If you're a football career administrator. And, and basically these jobs all seem to go to an increasingly small pool of people. And the fact that they're not lo- even looking outside that increasingly small pool of middle-aged white male people for candidates, is it's just very frustrating when nearly every other large organization in the country is, is obliged basically to look at other people and, and not, and see, you know, some people do it just to pay lip service, but the fact that this is the EFL, I, I would imagine that 30, 35% of the players in the EFL are, are Afro Caribbean, Black origin, and it's just none of them are getting anywhere near even being considered for this sort of role. Never mind. Uh, We could do the whole pod on this, but let's not, let's go to uh, Scotland, which is increasingly becoming my happy place. I'd say the, (laughs) this, the (laughs) seriously, a friend of mine, uh, ex-comedian keeps, he lives in Edinburgh, keeps sending me pictures of him and his dog walking around Edinburgh. It's like, please stop doing that. Um, The Scottish government has announced a 55 million pound funding package for spectator sport, including Football. I mean, apart from racing and rugby, I'm struggling to think what other spectator sports there could be. But this is a good, uh, a good news story. At once, uh, for uh, at once, for once, uh, I was up quite late watching the Anthony Joshua fight last night. <laughs> uh, it's
1: a good, it's a good news story for once for football, isn't it? Um, yeah, yeah. I think there certainly are some positives here um th- of the 55 million pounds package 30 million has gone to football some has gone to rugby uh, netball and basketball you know so a couple of other sort of uh, you-, you know more niche sports have have got you know we're talking yeah, 100,000 or 200,000. Um, I, I think it's especially good for the clubs in the lower league. So as far as the premiership is concerned, it's £20 million, pounds, but it's in the form of loans rather than grants. And those are at commercial interest rates. Now, yeah, the clubs in the premiership, by all accounts, aren't particularly happy with this. Yeah, They, they say, as we've said on more than one occasion on the show, uh, Scotland generates more money from ticket sales than any other country in Europe. Mm. and You've got clubs such as Rangers who, who, despite getting into Europe and the benefits there, they, they still are reliant upon matchday income for 60% of their total revenue. They also have to pay under the, the government rules to allow football to take place. They've got the costs of testing twice weekly to incur on top of the lack of revenue. So they're not overly chuffed, but it's 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 buying them some time which is the important thing once we drop into the the smaller divisions um a bit like that the deal that the premier league has granted to the efl clubs it's in the form of grants rather than loans which is great because grants in theory provided you comply with the terms are not repayable um that includes the highlands league that includes scottish women's game um so i, I think clubs are by all accounts uh, quite pleased with that you know th- would they like like more of course yeah every every if you give a choice between less money or more money you'd always want more but yes in, in general um i think this is a bit of a lifeline and it will keep those clubs ticking over a bit longer um until you know we are all hoping that the vaccine is success and you know the 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 current restrictions on our lifestyles will be uh relaxed and uh, diluted uh, over the course of mm. the forthcoming now, I'm aware, Kieran, having spent some
0: time in Scotland, that however I pronounce the name of this next football team, somebody will complain. But I'm very firmly in the Grenwick camp. So Grenwick Morton's manager has quit to save the club money.
1: Uh, yes, I think he's, he's an ex-Palace player, David Hopkins.
0: Yeah, very uh, right. scored the yeah. winning goal for us in the uh, playoff final against Sheffield United in the last, with oh. the last kick of the game.
1: Yep. So, uh, yeah, uh Greenock Morton. Uh, to, I'll, I'll go for the consistent approach here, or Morton, uh, to, to save myself getting it wrong. <laughs> um, uh, they, they're a club. They they they've lost four million pounds in total, and, and they were losing money pre-COVID, so they weren't in a, in a brilliant position. Um, they were owned. By a company called Golden Casket, who are a who make sweets. Okay, so they're a confectioner. Fact, so, why on earth they bought a football club as well is uh, it, it seems a strange thing to do. Um, but the good news is is that they are uh, in the process of selling the club to the fans uh, and writing off all the debt. So it, th- these are yeah this is this is manner from heaven as far as I'm concerned and yeah, as far as our sort of the, the valleys we have on the pot, pod. Yeah. Um and, and David Hopkins. Popped in uh, towards the back end of last week, um, had a chat with the chairman, and, and they were looking at budgets. And they say, know, yeah, we've got problems. We're we're handing across the club to the fans uh, relatively shortly." And they're trying to find ways of saving money. So, by all accounts, David Hopkins says, well, one of the things we can do is for me to take leave of my job. Now, I think he's possibly got something lined up, but even so, you know, it's, as the chairman said, this is a selfless act. Mm-hmm. He, he could have stuck around. Um, so, you know, at, at a time of, uh, of, of wrong uns that we sadly have to speak about too often in the game, this is uh, this is a positive and fair play to David. Yeah, he was a very good player for us. I remember uh, – um, I can't remember which person in the
0: opposition once said about him he was the easiest player to man-mark because he was so ginger. It's <laughs> it it impossible not to, not to let him slip. Now, Kieran, it's question time. And f- my first question, Kieran, um, is addressed to you. Uh, I've just realised, Kieran, that all my questions are addressed to you, to be perfectly honest, <laughs> in, a, <laughs> in a technical sort of way. Um, but uh, on a personal note to you, Kieran – do you know the nationality of the young lady who's just moved into the house across the road from me? I don't. Right. Would you like to guess where she might be from? Russia? She yes yeah, I got I got so excited just that. Like, I, I came I came out of my house as she came out of hers and she waved and, and said hello and we went uh and stood in the middle of the road, which is very quiet at the moment because of the thing. And she said, oh, I like your Christmas decoration. I said, thank you very much. I said, where are you from? She said, Russia. Uh, and then I noticed that under her coat, she had a blue and white scarf on. So that that already got me. And, and then I asked her name and I, <laughs> and I ran back into the house and said to Ali, you'll never guess what the name of that, that girl, the Russian girl across the road is. And she went, Katerina. I went, oh, because I was 100% <laughs> convinced she said Kierina. <laughs> in my head i heard carrie and i thought this is going to be this is oh. the best story ever she's got a blue and white scarf on and she's carrying and ellie went i think that's probably the green scarf if it was the one she had on so in the in the space of 15 seconds i was completely deflated it was um <laughs> i couldn't run well, i was so I was such a childish well i can't wait for the pod in fact i almost whatsapped you there and then anyway yeah, the first question, my first question, Kieran, is addressed to you, like all of the rest of them. Uh, it comes from Chris Barker, uh, and Chris says Coventry sold Callum Wilson to Bournemouth for around three million pounds, with various add-ons, including ten percent of the profit on any future transfer. Now, this has been a popular topic on the show recently, Kieran. Um, Newcastle bought Wilson for twenty million pounds, so Chris Barker says Coventry are due around one point seven million pounds. Do Bournemouth pay that in full straight away or do they pay it in installments in line with how Newcastle are paying Bournemouth?
1: Right. Uh, this is a tricky one here because it will depend upon the individual contractual terms. I mean, Bournemouth will certainly have to pay the VAT uh, within three months uh, in, in terms of the deal, uh, regardless of the speed at which Newcastle pay. Um If it was built into the contract that as soon as the sale takes place, then that becomes an obligation, um, then Bournemouth would have to hand that money across to Coventry. If Bournemouth, however, had had silver-tongued friends Uh, helping them to draft the contract, who says that any profits will be on the basis of future cash flows in respect of the sale of Callum Wilson. It will be linked to the installments uh, payable by Newcastle. So it very much depends on a contract by contract basis. Okay. Well, a a similar question comes from Darren
0: Holland in Dublin, Um, who's given us a bit of a backstory. And after, you know, in In these days of nearly always bad news, I'm very pleased to read the backstory out, Kieran, because Darren Holland in Dublin is an elated Bohemians fan, he says. And after the club going from the brink of extinction at the start of the decade to qualifying for Europe at the back end of it, it's been a roller coaster ride at Daly Mount Park. Um, I then broke off for five minutes because I'm determined to find something other than roller coaster to illustrate an up-and-down sensation. Uh, Anyway, now we get to the nub of Darren's question. Darren says, we are due 10% of the sell-on fee following our our former player, Matt Doherty's move to Spurs, which for Bohemians is an astronomical sum. Um, The question is, do clubs pay tax on this?
1: Yes, they do, because what you're actually selling, you're not, it's not the sale of the player, it's the sale of the player's registration certificates, and that is deemed to be an intangible asset. If you sell uh, such an asset at a profit, um, then that will go into your taxable profit. So potentially there, there could be some uh, tax to pay on this. The, the intricacies of the Irish um, tax system are beyond me. Uh, it, it's it's many years since I last taught tax, uh, and so therefore, uh, I, I w- whether they'll get some uh, allowances in respect of that, because it's taken a number of years before the the sell on fee becomes due, um, that that could be one way of reducing tax, and then there could be other bits and pieces as well. So, actually, Karen, that raises an important distinction uh, for me. So.
0: We often get asked, you know, will that transfer fee get? Ta- is there tax on that? Blah blah. blah. So th- there's no tax on the individual transaction. as sucks, is there? These these transactions just go towards the annual accounts, the profit of which is then taxed. Is that right?
1: That that's that's perfectly correct. Yes, because you, you look at the uh, you look at the collective uh, in terms of the transactions in a year, and it will be based on the the annual accounts which then get submitted to the equivalent of Companies House in Ireland and submitted to the, the Irish tax authorities. You know, it's, a bit, it's a bit like if you or I do do a bit of freelance work, um, does that get taxed separately? No, it goes into your annual I- income and that forms the basis for your annual tax, tax liabilities.
0: Not if I get paid cash, it doesn't. Um- uh, I didn't I didn't say that out loud. I did not say that out loud. Um, while we're talking about tax, and it's almost like producer guy's been paying attention this week, because our next question is from, uh, I'm, I'm going to go full Spanish for this, Jame Aparicio, uh, who says he's from, if it's James Aparicio, I'm sorry, both to Jame and James. Uh, Jame says he, he's in sunny Spain. Uh, so hello to you from cloudy Croydon, Jame. Um, Jame says, could you please explain to all foreigners listening to this pod how taxation works in the u k um I suspect we haven 't got uh, the full amount of time Kieran, <laughs> to do that um but <laughs> this question this this question starts dull, but it just gets better and better as far as i 'm concerned as uh, somebody says i 've seen accounts of teams such as Peterborough not having to pay taxes and bringing payments forward. If it helps, the details are in note eleven on the latest annual report from the posh, <laughs> and <laughs> what makes me laugh is is <laughs> guys put dot, 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 because I suspect he doesn't know how you're going to... You may have seen a brilliant uh, drama on the BBC on uh, Friday about Barbara Windsor, God rest her soul, um, who I met several times and was very fond of. Uh, There's a very famous story from her past when the first time she met Kenneth Williams and Kenneth Williams had a go at her and she was incredibly rude back. uh, And there was a five-second pause while everyone expected an outburst and Kenneth laughed and decided he loved this woman dearly. And I think that Guy might be thinking, he doesn't know how you're going to react to somebody telling me that the details of in Note 11 on the latest annual report from the Posh, because I just had this vision of you going straight to it, desperately hoping it was in Note 12 or 10. So you pull rank on That is rock and roll in my lifestyle, <laughs> Kevin, and we both know. Anyway, is there is there a short answer to uh, the question from our friend in sunny Spain?
1: Yes, yes. Uh, First of all, hi to Yame. I I have taught Yame. Oh, there you go. Thank you. Um, uh, In terms of the way that things work is that if a club, let's say a club lost money in, in three years and then in year four made a profit, what you're allowed to do is to offset the losses in the early years against your profits in year four. So so that's what Peterborough have been doing. And, and the Peterborough business model is very much based on player trading, which which tends to be quite volatile. So they might not sell a player at a big profit for a couple of years. And then in year three, they, they do. So they tend to go sort of loss, loss, profit, loss, profit, and so on. Um, so you're allowed to carry losses back. You're allowed to uh, carry your losses forwards and knock them off against future profits, that's normally for the first five million pounds and then 50% of the balance. Um, And if you've got other businesses and you're within a group, um, you can claim something called group relief. Don't don't Google that, by the way, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Um, that, that might <laughs> I might get in trouble for that. Um, but uh, yeah, th- that those those are the broad rules. So if you if you made losses historically, you can offset those histo- those losses against your future profits, and that's what Pompey uh, Pompe- uh, posh have done. Uh, thank you for that question, Hammy. It's slightly worrying, Kieran, that you taught him and
0: he still needs to ask me what the answer is to a tax question but there you go um adam brooks takes us from spain to the usa and in particular the business strategy of the mls now uh, you, you know my respect for all the questions we get kieran but this one uh, i thought was a very interesting one david beckham says adam brooks recently purchased the inter miami franchise at a discount where does the money that it takes to buy a franchise go in terms of the way it's distributed across the u.s football ecosystem
1: Right. So the, the MLS owns all of the football clubs officially, so the money goes into a central pot. Now, now David Beckham, um, as Adam said, bought into Miami at a ridiculously low price of $25 million to give you some sort of... Um, benchmark uh the, the charlotte uh, the charlotte franchise has just been sold for 325 apparently david beckham got it because he's an ex-player or i think this was actually part of the initial deal to get him to go across to play in the mls uh, yeah we'll allow oh, you okay. to play and by the way uh we'll we'll give you a, you know a real knockdown price oh okay now the the reason why they they pay these these are what's these are what's referred to as expansion fees and and the MLS which which started off very small um, is now up to thirty clubs um, and what you're paying for you're paying for uh, scarcity value you're paying for exclusivity in terms of American football and uh, whilst it might seem three hundred twenty five million bucks is a lot of money it's it's a hell of a lot cheaper for those uh, people who who want to get into american sport um and who who don't fancy trying to buy an nba or an nfl franchise because those are sealed leagues the the mls has increased it's gone up from 21 to 30 clubs in the last few years so there is scope to to grow the league um and clearly there 's a lot of money in the NFL and the NBA and so on, but those that those uh, individual sports or franchise sports have said we are not going to get any bigger so therefore that the cost of buying them we 're talking in the billions um, so so this money goes into a central pot and, and then then that money is distributed to effectively the existing franchise holders um, as as sort of uh, as you would normally do in in a franchise or operation that uh, so it's it's a strange way of doing it, but uh, it, it it does discourage the the Steve Dales of this world because you've got to go and pay a large sum, and and there's four criteria the MLS use uh, when allocating a franchise. First of all, they go into detail in terms of the owner wealth, i.e., can you afford to to run the club initially? Mm. Um, secondly does it have a stadium or approval for a stadium? And you've got to demonstrate control over uh, money-making issues such as parking and concessions. Then they'd look at the the size of the town involved. Um, and then they try to establish whether there's some sort of established fan base. So are there local universities and colleges where a lot of football is being played? So they do seem to go through some quite tough criteria because what they don't want to do is to end up with the situation which which you and I can remember when the likes of Pelé and Rodney Marsh and yeah. George Best went yeah, across yeah. to the States and then it all just it, it all had an almighty crash um, and the MLS had to start again from scratch. So if,
0: if the money that David Beckham spent is uh, distributed amongst the existing franchise holders, does that mean that the existing franchise holders wouldn't be happy that he got such a huge discount then?
1: um i i think they'll be quite uh, philosophical about it, it, it D- david beckham increased the profile of the game right. so, you know, a huge amount and uh, in in america they're, they're very keen on mar- on marketing and things of that nature so um you know, this inter miami which i think is starting playing was it, or was it started playing this year um yeah you know, they, they'll they'll just see that as part of the overall cost of getting david beckham to come to us football okay
0: Kieran, we talk on this pod jokingly about the fact that barely a week goes by without mentioning Derby or Sheffield Wednesday. Um, But in reality, I think Man United are the club that we probably talk about most. And we've got two questions now about Man United, both of which I think are very interesting. The first one comes from Paul Glover. And Paul says, can I ask Kieran what the sense is behind a club like Manchester United Holding out for what, in the grand scheme of things, isn't a great deal of money extra for a transfer fee when they risk losing the deal and being stuck with a player's very high wages. As an example, Chris Smalling, they were haggling over a reported extra £5 million on the deal, which could have seen them stuck with a player they don't want paying him a lot of money.
1: Right. I mean, I think uh, in answer to Paul's question, Manchester United don't want to be seen, as do all clubs, as a soft touch. So they've got a player who's not part of the manager's plans. Uh, Chris Smalling, he's he's just turned 31. Manchester United don't want to be seen to be setting a precedent. There's already a belief that United often pay over the odds for players because they're seen as being so wealthy. So what they don't want to be is known as a club that, that... it buys high and sells low. That that's not a good reflection. And also, Ed Woodward has a, a duty towards the shareholders. Manchester United is a, is a is ultimately is a company which is quoted on the New York Stock Exchange, mm. and, and therefore he has a responsibility towards shareholders to to deliver. So, in in respect of Chris Smalling, uh, Roma took him on loan. Yeah, that covered a, a fair watch of his wages. They paid a a three million euro. Um, loan fee last season and by all accounts he he was superb yeah. um, and, on, and on the back of that they've agreed to pay 15 million euros or well, 15 million pounds we're not quite sure the exact nature of the deal uh, for a player who's 31 potentially that could go up to 20 million with add-ons uh I guess that the selling club that you're here at United were fully aware that Chris Smallings had an excellent season in Roma and therefore they stuck to their guns. Mm. Uh but there's certainly a lot of evidence within Europe that um the buying clubs as a result of COVID think that they can get a bargain on everything. Mm. United don't need to sell. Mm. So you know, If it's a fire sale, then perhaps they would have taken a lower price, but they're not in a need to sell. They've got plenty of cash in the bank, um, and therefore they stuck out for this higher price. And I think they've got actually a pretty good deal for a player, remember, whom they only paid £10 million for uh, a decade ago anyway. Mm. A yeah, talk of the Stock Exchange leads us
0: very nicely, thank you, Guy, to a question from Gax in Caithness, a topical question about Manchester United. Uh, And Gak says, um, talking about Mina Raiola's comments on Paul Pogba's unhappiness there last week, saying that he had to move on from Manchester United. Are there legal implications around those comments, since the club are listed on the stock exchange and those comments could affect the value of an asset and
1: therefore possibly the share price of the club? Right. Uh, in terms of Gax's query, um, the the Securities and Exchange Commission, which is sort of the the administrative governing body of listed companies in New York, is very very strict as to what can and can be said by executives of the club or executives of the company or the company itself in terms of press releases and things of this nature. Because what they don't want to be doing is is being found guilty of taking advantage of price-sensitive issues. Mm. Now, uh, Riola is not an employee of Manchester United. So therefore, he is in a position as an agent to say whatever he wishes, just as you or I can with regards to Manchester United, um, provided, of course, it's not libelous or things of that nature. Um, so if he is to say that uh, he's the representative of somebody who he claims is not very happy and should be moved on, then... Um, does that have an implication for the share price? Perhaps. I don't think it will have a huge implication, but uh, he is perfectly at liberty to represent his client as he sees fit. And uh, the, the status of Manchester United as a listed company is an irrelevance uh, because he's not an executive there. Okay. A couple of short, sharp questions now. And
0: the first one comes from Cormac Turley. Do national teams have any kind of financial
1: regulators like club football does? Um, it, It depends upon the nature of what they do and where they get funding from. If they are recipients of government funding, then it could be that they're answerable to the Minister for Sport or the the, the Sports Department. Um, Other than that, um, they are not uh, answerable to anybody apart from FIFA uh, because there there will be general rules in in terms of uh, corporate behaviour, and also uh, they're they're bankers. So if we take the the Football Association here in England – I believe they've just taken out a 175 million pound loan um, as part of the the COVID loans, and there will be covenants attached to that. Um, but there's there's no sort of uh, there's no guarantee within an individual country. Um, a, you know, a football association to to a certain extent is independent of of scrutiny, okay. and certainly if we take a look at what's happened in in the Republic of Ireland. That's not necessarily a good thing. Mm. Yes, um,
0: Phil Chater has asked you a nice accounting question. In a club's accounts, says Phil Chater, are player transfers individually displayed and if so, are undisclosed fee transactions also displayed?
1: Right, uh, as, as far as we're concerned here in the UK, individual transfers are not displayed. Uh, a, bit, a bit like the the tax query we had earlier, they are uh, they are collated together. So you will see the the total amount paid and the total amount received, um, and there's no obligation to go into any more depth. Uh, I mean, the FA does publish agents fees, but again, not necessarily on a deal. In other countries, the rules are different. Um, In my opinion, uh, the, the best set of accounts of any club on the planet are those of Juventus because they lay out on a transaction by transaction basis exactly what they've paid how much uh, how, exactly? How much they've received, and they also show uh, potentially how much the agents are getting on deals as well. So, uh, yeah, we, we've just been talking about Mini Raiola. Uh, yeah, that's how we worked out that he he uh, he picked up around about I think it's about twenty eight million from the from Juventus for the Paul Pogba deal. Um, he presumably also picked up something from Manchester United, and it could be that his client uh, also paid him for the privilege of arranging the deal between um, the club that wanted to sell him, the club that wanted to buy him, and the player who wanted to move? Yeah, I've probably asked you this question before, Kieran.
0: We've done a lot of pods, um, but also we have a lot of new listeners, so I feel entitled to ask this. The, the business of undisclosed fees in the club accounts, presumably HMRC are within their rights to say, we would like you to disclose the fee to us. Uh,
1: oh, certainly. Yeah. Certainly. Um, I've spoken to uh, a few clubs about this, and they've always argued is that they don't want other clubs to know how much of their budget they've spent. Um, yeah, because we roughly know, you know how much Palace are going to spend, how much uh, you know, Wolverhampton, Wanderers, Manchester United. We've we got a rough idea of what we think the transfer budget's going to be. So uh, so clubs have, have said to me, you know, we, we'd rather keep that quiet because it helps us in future negotiations. Having said that, um, whenever I want to find out a transfer fee – I just phone up one of my mates who's an agent mm. and uh, they are, if, if you think the world of showbiz is full of gossip, um, football agents are the, the most loose tongued of people I've met, which is fantastic. You know, and, and you know, it's a bit like a WhatsApp groups, so, you know, what, what, what stays between agents or what goes between agents stays between agents. But yeah, they, they've got all of the numbers there. Uh, if ever you need them. Well, well, if football agents gossip
0: the way comedians do, you have to factor in the 30% exaggeration fee for a start off. Don't you? Um, I, In in light of Hame's question earlier, actually, for our overseas listeners, I probably should explain that HMRC stands for Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs. Uh, Basically, they're our tax and VAT people. And I can say that with some confidence because I've had many a letter with those initials, In fact, it's slightly worrying. Have, have you opened any? I, I opened all of them, Kieran. And right. them. <laughs> Three years ago, I started to get Christmas cards from them, which is a very worrying development. Um, our next question is from Julie Hopkins. And I don't know why. I, I For some reason, I feel I should be humming a folks on after I say the name Julie Hopkins, because it's a wonderful name. Uh, Julie has um, a slightly plaintive question. Uh can you please explain to me what's happening financially at Swansea City after relegation to the championship? Are our owners wrong-uns? Although I would have to say I would have to say that I imagine Julie is still floating on air after the Cardiff result yesterday, so she may not care what you say, to be perfectly honest. <laughs>
1: um well uh I, I I've taken a, a deep look at Swansea's finances and for a club that spent seven years of the last decade between 2010 and 2019 in the Premier League, also had one year of parachute payments. Um, my assessment was that that club was living beyond their means for most of that time. If you take the, the wages they paid plus the amortization fees on transfers, that came to 98% of the total revenue they generated right. over the course of the decade, despite the fact they were having the benefits of all of these huge sums of TV money. So um, I, I think I don't think that the new owners are wrong on I mean, They've got a couple of new owners in, in Levine and Kaplan um, who are US-based. What I would say about the new owners is they, they've not put money into the club um which is, you know, if if you are a fan, that's what I've always said, yeah, you know, what you want is a uh you know, benign dictator, also a benign, generous dictator who who's prepared to to bankroll some of those losses. So um I, I think what has happened with uh Swansea is that since they were relegated there's very much been a fire sale, and and they have been flogging off players uh, quite regularly to to try to make it ends meet. Now that might be connected going back to our first story with with Trevor Birch, who mm. who was the who was the chief there, um and and his brief was very much to uh, get some of the the excess expenditure off the books. And uh, you know I've looked at uh, comments from Swindy's supporters trust, and they always found him to be uh, pretty good on things of that nature um so are they wrong-uns? no are they sugar daddies which is also something perhaps we should be asked they're not that either um their their long term plans for the club seem uh, very difficult to determine which 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 isn't great uh, you know are they looking to sell on are they looking to uh, fund uh, an attempt to get back into the premier league it, it's it's difficult to work them out they they're pretty inscrutable these two I have to say what an
0: atmosphere you used to get at Swansea games in the Premier League. I've stood on the touchline as the teams came out at Swansea. This thing is it's a stadium that deserves to be formed. I mean we all do at the moment, but that's a that's a place when it's going well. Um Mark Ridley, our penultimate question, and this is a an interesting one. It's probably one that we've all kind of thought about at some time. Mark Ridley asked, if a club makes an international transfer I take it the currency used is that of the selling club. For example, Jadon Sancho at Dortmund is priced at 120 million euros, which is around 108 million pounds. If Man United agreed that, would they get a preferential exchange rate or does Ed Woodward pop into the travel agent with a paper bag like the rest of us and change his money up? Or, <laughs> or says
1: Mark, could they operate in dollars? Um, well, if it's, If it's a major country in Europe, I suspect they will be expecting uh, as a selling club to receive euros um, because that's how they pay their wages. That's how they, they pay their domestic bills. And also it gives them the benefit of certainty. So that would be the standard way of doing it uh it could be that if the buying club wants certainty they might negotiate um a clause in the contract where the, the buying club uh, has uh, has certainty, but w- what I suspect the buying club will actually do under normal circumstances is that they will have some forward contracts in respect of currencies. So, that if they know exactly the, the right amount going in and out, um, in, in respect of Mark's other comment with regards to, um, using a, a third party currency, um, this is quite common in, uh, some, some countries which have, uh, more volatile exchange rates, um, certainly my experience when i was um uh when i used to work in russia was that uh, somebody was always very keen to get my dollars from me <laughs> um <laughs> <laughs> go on <laughs> and it was always money well spent um
0: <laughs> and we come to a, every time you mention we come to a crossroads kieran it's always intriguing to see which branch of the road we go down when we come to moscow um it, and this is a very obvious question kieran we've just three weeks to go till brexit but will will that affect um transfer deals in
1: euros in the next few weeks and months um no no uh, I mean ultimately I, I would imagine that uh, all, all European clubs will be um, wanting to get their deals done in Euros even more than before. Um, th- I think the downside um, is that if there is a no deal Brexit, the the currency markets which are starting to factor that in. Um, believe that that will make the, the UK economy weaker. It'll also make the Europe, you know, no, there are no winners from a no deal Brexit. Mm. Um, so from an economic perspective. Um, but I think the UK is likely to, to suffer more economically, which will mean that the pound will fall in value. Um, and, and that will have upsides and downsides for, for British clubs. If you're buying players from Europe and, and the, the selling club is looking for a €40 million, Euros, €110 million Euros for Jaden Sancho and so on, that means it's going to increase the costs to, to English clubs. Having said that, if those English clubs are also in Europe, UEFA pay out the prize money from the, their various pots in Euros, which means that UK clubs will receive uh, more money, so uh, I think for the bigger clubs, it will be fairly neutral mm. because they tend to do an awful lot of buying from from overseas, but they do get the benefits of clearly of of European competition. For our clubs, you know, the likes of Brighton and Palace, it will probably be bad news. Uh, a, it will be more difficult to to recruit players because we're moving on to the the post Brexit points based system. Um, and B, with a weaker pound, it's going to cost uh, it's, it's going to cost our clubs more money. Okay,
0: uh, I am I'm trying to remain neutral on the Brexit subject, Kieran, because I uh, understand there are people listening to this who think it's a good idea. So I am keeping my tone as neutral as possible while making it plain. Exactly what I feel. Uh, It's not the BBC. We're entitled to our opinions, Kieran, uh, which are correct. Um, Spencer Pritchard asks our final question, and Spencer wants to get his head completely around a subject that has been slightly perplexing on the pod recently, and that is loans with an option to buy, or more specifically, loans with an obligation to buy, such as the deal this week that saw Matteo Damian going from Parma to Inter. And um, it's a very simple question, but it's a very clever one basically why not why not buy him now we've talked a lot about the the, this notion of an option to buy but
1: if you've got an obligation to buy why not just buy him now right the reason for that spencer is financial fair play if you sell him now and there's going to be a big loss on the deal um you might want to push that loss into next year's account by putting him out on loan first similarly if you're the buying club If you... Commit yourself to buy the player, um, then you're committed to the amortization fee. So you might you might want to push that down the road as well. If, if we take a look at the the, the strange uh, transfer involving Kylian Mbappe, you know, PSG initially loaned him, which meant that they only that only the loan fee went through the accounts in that first year. And, and when they bought him uh, uh, 12 months later, which I think was for around about 200 million euros on a five year deal, that's when the 40 million a year uh, amortization fee kicked in for financial fair play purposes. So it it is, uh, in my view, connected to um, the opportunities to, I think, manipulate isn't the right word to use, but I can't think of another word. Um, So... So it, it's to do with financial fair play. Mm.
0: Massage. Can we go massage without you being led down? To- oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's
1: another rabbit hole.
0: <laughs> oh, my Lord. Okay, um, I've never had a massage down a rabbit hole, Kieran, but, you know, um, <laughs> feel free. <laughs> oh, it's shocking, isn't it, how two middle-aged men can make themselves laugh like this. Um, if, if, it. We, I've got good news, Kieran. Basically, i was trying to stop myself giggling. In, uh, just minutes after trying to be serious on Brexit, um, we have uh, a, a policy decision we've made. We are we are going to carry on uh, delivering the pod over the Christmas holiday period, um, and I mean very much delivering. We won't be recording it over the pod. These will be very much pre-recorded pods. But we are we'll be going out on Christmas Eve as normal, and then there'll be a questions one on whatever the Monday between Christmas and New Year's call. i never know what to call that period between. I'd normally go for the perineum. Um, <laughs> uh, I believe, I believe Crimbo Limbo is what the young people are calling, but i would rather stick with the perineum. But we will, we will be having, we'll be back with a normal pod. Uh, well, it's not Christmas yet, but I'm just letting you know that we will be available over Christmas. Good luck with sneaking out of the, the, the three bubble front room to listen to it in the toilet. Um, in uh, the meantime, of course, our next pod will be on what day? On Thursday. Oh, I'm losing track already. The combination of Christmas and, and semi-lockdown is really confusing, isn't it? Uh, questions at priceoffootball.com is what you need to email if you have any questions on any aspect of of football finance, or indeed Christmas as we're coming up to that period. And I shall say goodbye everybody and leave you in the capable hands
1: of Mr. Kieran Maguire for his normal goodbye message. Well, first of all, folks, thank thank you for all the support. Um, We've we've had some really nice words about the quiz. For many people, seem to enjoy it. If if you like the show, if you if you press that subscribe button on Spotify and Amazon and if you could leave us a five-star review it doesn't matter what you say it could be it could be the Nolan sisters <laughs> that you'd rather have for presenting than myself and Kevin it makes no difference to us uh, I know a story about the Nolan sisters which I'll tell you after uh, the show uh, by the way Kevin
0: it's probably the same one I know but the <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, and uh, other than that, look after yourselves, look after your loved ones. I, I know we've turned a corner with this vaccine, but we're not out of the woods yet. So stay in your bubbles. It's a pain in the arse, uh, but it's it's not it's it's not people as, as i'd like to say as young as me and kevin we're actually quite old um but it's 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 my mum and uh you know it, it's it's our, it's our elders that i'm most concerned about uh so so look after yourselves and uh we'll speak to you soon
0: well it's also kieran as you know my 38 year old cousin who passed away a few days ago so it's not it's not just old people we're uh, yeah we're not there yet everybody but we will be so in the meantime as kieran says stay safe and stay well